Oh man, I wanted to hear the story. Hey Maggie. Hi everyone. Hey Maggie. Hi Maggie. Hi, good to see you. Hello. Hey, I'm Kenny. Hey. Hi Kenny. Uh, the pastor was actually speaking about when he met Christ. Well, actually, Kenny asked me what I preached about on Sunday. I said it was about how we, we may not be able to actually see Jesus the man, but we can meet Christ. The quick answer, Kenny, is that I, I started to read some passages from the New Testament, and it, it really touched me deeply, man. You know, I mean, at that moment, I was crying, but I mean, it stayed with me. And really, I guess you could say, it led me to become a minister on some level. Which one was the one that, that, that hit you, that touched you? Ah, the parable of the sower. You know, are you familiar with that? No. Once there was a sower who went out to sow, and he sprinkled some seed. And some seed fell on rocky soil and was burned up by the sun. And some seed fell by the side of the road and was blown away by the wind. And... Other seed was eaten up by crows, but some seed fell on fertile soil, and it grew and gave forth a harvest of a hundredfold. Why did that one resonate with you? Well, because I immediately knew what it meant. It's about hearing God's voice and ignoring it, which is something that I had done uh, for my, like my entire life up until that point. You know, I had been introduced to God many times. I had been saved by God many times and had always walked away every time but i but i was filled with arrogance you know at the same time you know it's like and of course being an alcoholic we're grandiose we got we're grandiose but we have low self-esteem so you know big dreams but we're not we don't know how to you know implement those dreams hmm. i want to respect and, maggie's time so yeah. yes i'm interested in and yeah. in how did you find a uh, spirituality Actually, that is a difficult question. I think it was more of a gradual discovery for me rather than from one particular moment. But I think that the real calling for me was after my father passed away in 2011. Yeah, I was in a moment of grief and also sort of searching for my soul. So I think that being in this very friendly environment and listening to Pastor wisdom every Sunday uh, really appealed to me and gradually took me out of this difficult time. Is there something that you remember that was like a spark? I find that even in the most difficult times, there's always a positive message to be derived. Hmm. In I feel that that really appealed to me, especially because I don't consider myself a depressive person. I've always been very optimistic, but in that particular time of my life, I had a very difficult uh, time of soul searching and um, just having the hope that Pastor Neil gives with his messages every Sunday was great support for me. So hmm. yeah. That's incredible. And where you mentioned your family, uh, grew up Christian and and celebrated like holidays and whatnot. What what country are you originally from? Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm originally from Bulgaria mm. and Bulgaria is an Orthodox Christian country. So I'm raised an Orthodox Christian. Mm. I feel that the Reformed Church tra traditions and and the way our particular Sunnisa Reformed Church speaks about God really appeals to me and my personality. So mm. I find being most comfortable 
in our church. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can see that. I think Pastor Neil gives that that spirit of, of spirituality that's like non-judgmental. I definitely understand that. Everything good about human beings is a byproduct of getting together, right? I mean, yeah, there's... Okay, there is a place for like solo contemplation, right? For that kind of being alone, being with ourselves. But so much of what we accomplish and do comes from us cooperating with each other and creating that kind of group spirit. Anyway, since we are all obsessed right now with COVID-19 and likely to be so for, for some time to come, you know, you're you're in a group that I'm super curious about, you know, which is the group of people who had it, you know, and, and got through it and everything and what that's been like, both medically and spiritually and emotionally and, you know, economically and all the things. You know. Right. So I would want to begin with what really um, worried me about the whole experience is that at first, we didn't want to tell anyone we are sick because we didn't want people to think, oh, these are the sick people. And then I was feeling a little bit guilty of being sick. How did I manage to get myself into this situation? Like, I wash my hands. I sanitize the whole house. We keep away from each other. You know, I'm supposed to have done everything right. So how are we both sick? And then what I was thinking after being sick is I'm so happy for being through this but then you know I can't tell anyone about what happened because I've been hiding it all along and the funny thing is that everybody started sharing with me and they were oh oh you know we were sick too (laughs) or or we're so afraid of getting it but that whole experience of trying to hide the information feeling the guilt of getting sick then also feeling a responsibility toward everybody else around me because we live on the first floor of a two-floor house and on the second floor there's an elderly couple uh, and we shared the same entrance and you know every time I would go out to get the mail I would spray all the door handles with Lysol because I would fear not to getting them sick and all that so with uh, even if you have to just go on the street to pick up something or do the garbage. So I would see a neighbor and I would try not to go over and, and pretend that everything is fine. All that just creates so much pressure on on everyone's soul, you know what I mean? So I think that that was tough. After we got better, now the big question is, are we ever going to get it again or do we have immunity? Because at first, I was just so happy to be out of it and to know, oh, simple things matter now. You know, just kind of being able to not be lying in bed all day and go and wash the dishes is like a blessing (laughs) after you spend two weeks in bed. Uh, I was very sick, so I was um, constantly with fever for 12 days. And uh, even the Tylenol wouldn't help lower down the fever completely and I was constantly feeling like I will faint immediately like even when I was in the bed (laughs) not standing it was a difficult time and I was every day I was debating with myself should I go to the hospital or should I not go to the hospital am I sick enough to do that and what kept me staying at home was primarily the toddler but also my doctor's video appointments 
So he was very supportive. I did get to a point where I had a crisis and called an ambulance and the paramedics came and they were, they were very well equipped and very friendly because I felt also tremendously guilty letting two doctors into a house where potentially two adults are sick with the virus. When they came, what they uh, did is that they measured my oxygen. They said that it was good. So it, it calmed me down that my oxygen level is good and that I, um, you know, they said we can take you to a hospital, but they're much more sick than you. <laughs> mm. Pretty much they said, you may not even have the virus, but you will probably get it if you get there. I think that that was the tipping point because the next day I immediately felt better, mm. you know? I don't know, it's like psychological as well. But I have to say, I also didn't want to go for very practical reasons of having the toddler at home and having a health insurance that wouldn't cover a lot of things, which is something that many people in other countries wouldn't worry about. Being from a European country, I constantly have to explain to my relatives of how for an elementary doctor services, we always have to think and bargain about the money. And, and, you know, it, 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 it is such a foreign topic to someone who does not live in America and, and, and they just don't understand how is that even possible that people uh, actually get billed for huge bills for something that should be covered, like the coronavirus should be covered. You know, I think the whole society is going to become dichotomized, you know what I mean? And fragmented along those lines. So talk a little bit more about what that was like. Yes, it is very difficult to say, uh, but I don't know. It's interesting how we... We think we're a very friendly society. Everybody's very friendly. The community is always open to us if we are willing to allow people in, right? So, but as soon as there is a problem like that, like the coronavirus, which which encompasses the whole society, people start getting paranoid, and fear can, at least the way I understand this, fear can overwhelm basic interaction that is that is almost unconscious fear turns an interesting side in us that we usually try to suppress down and and maybe don't even know it exists until it comes out i mean the family's under stress the workplace kind of doesn't exist you know main street is gone right so uh Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's not, not good. <laughs> you know, not good. Uh, it's it, it's funny, like we the turn we've had. It, we have to fight it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's also like I, what I love that what you said, Maggie, is like there's this fear that we've suppressed, right? And this state of where we're at and this paranoia now pushes that fear to the top, right? And uh, yes. and and I think this is also an opportunity, maybe because I'm optimistic, is just opportunity for us to talk about that fear right and uh what i love about this conversation is you are someone that had the symptoms and and according to your doctor you had it right and you were able to beat it so i guess my my question is like um what was that underlying fear that you had right and um you know first of all am i going to die or not (laughs) i think everybody's underlying fear yeah it, it was a tough time um 
But I actually wanted to go back to Pastor News' point about the contact being such an important part of who we are. I was in the park with my toddler who is 18 months old. He's at an, you know, babies up to that point, they don't socialize with anyone. They perceive other babies as objects. But he's at the point now where he's opening to the world, starting to communicate with other babies and seeing them as other people, like a person there and trying to make social interaction. It is impossible now to have any physical or any sort of interaction for these young kids. Um, and so I was looking at that and I was looking at how our world is placed right now. And I was thinking, is that the end of physical contact for our children? Are our kids going to be completely raised from the very beginning in this time of no contact? Like we all wave at each other, we stay six feet feet apart you know how are they one day going to date for example or be at school or I don't know just give a hug to a friend or high five to a friend you know because I saw him there I was thinking about that if this is temporary or is it going to change the way we communicate between each other for good let me ask you as a parent right how do you feel about that how how would you raise your child like now seeing post coronavirus well obviously the way everybody else would which would be staying six feet apart in this formative age when the kids are at that age developmental phase would that change their personalities differently from the way we are right now it's it's interesting yeah I think the, the answer has to be yes i mean i don't know that it'll necessarily be a terrible thing you know and i don't think that It'll be permanent, you know, this will end, you know, it might be in November or December or so, whatever, but, you know, I, I do think we'll, we'll get back to something, but I think the kids will be okay, you know, I'm kind of more worried about the adults, you know, I, I think the, the kids, the, the youngest kids will be okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess that's just the way, the place where I am right now. I hope that that makes a change here in the country in terms of how people think about the social responsibility, you know, what it means to be part of a society. Because there are many countries in the world where people feel like they are not part of a society on a daily basis. But then when it comes to the bigger questions in life, they do get all together, protest or raise their voice and actually make a big change. Whereas here in America, we always say, oh, well, we have the greatest community and society in the world. Everybody's so supportive. We do many, you know, great things. But when it comes to the fun fundamental structure of society and something like this happens, suddenly everyone is alone. So at least that's how I feel about it. You would probably argue, no, the people are not alone. There's food banks. and No, 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 no. No, you know, Maggie, when I was something like Kenny's age, you know, there were a whole group of us who basically said, no, the society is bankrupt. Its values are, are corrupt or shallow. And the things that people are aspiring to are at, at best shallow, at worst, you know, downright destructive. And there's a huge soft white underbelly to this society, um, which is poor people. Yeah. You know, black folks and, and La Raza, you know, and everybody who exists outside this bubble of supposed middle-class normality. 
And we all just assume that to be the reality, right? I mean, it's 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 all interesting, too, because we've been through this as a society in terms of, of the Spanish flu or other viruses. We didn't have the technology. We didn't have the service workers that we have now, right? So it's like, I also think there's there's that, right? That there's an angle where we have more technology to assist us during these times. I guess that's that's more what I'm interested in. Like, all right, what does this look like on the other end, right? Because I think collectively there's this gloom, right? And again, going back to this fear, it's like, you can't operate out of fear. You know, you just can't, right? People are looking for hope. People are looking for what are some positive effects that could come you know, learning about this virus, you know, something. And I think that's that's why, you know, we started this podcast uh, to just add a bit of a positive or at least some hope with this because collectively we can go, we can talk for five hours of all the bad stuff, right? But it's like, but we're spiritual people, right? And And if you believe in spirituality, we are spirits, right? This is just a vessel. So what does that mean in this time? It means we were supposed to be during this time. Where do we go from there, right? I'm curious to hear from you, Maggie. Like, you know, you survived it. Uh, what were what were three things that kept hope in you? Well, I think that it's a personal approach of the fact that I'm naturally a positive person. So when I think of, okay, the other alternative is death, then I'm thinking, well, we have to get through this because... There's no, you know, you either go through it and make it or you don't. So, and that to me is a very positive message and it's a good motivation. But what kept me going is thinking that I just have to get through it. And one difficulty in life sent to me and we have to get through it. But being on the other side of it now, I'm thinking it's an exciting moment in life as well um, for our society because in times of shake-up like this, positive things come up. We kind of really need a shake-up in order to do new things. And I believe that people are naturally very creative and have a strong survival uh, skill and instinct. From this, we'll see new businesses come up and new ideas come up and new skills people will learn. And maybe my hope is that maybe even our country politically will learn something from it and make a change, you know. But even if the country doesn't make a change, I think that people will make a change from inside. There will be positive things. There will be new ways of living and that will create new opportunities. That's very true. I'm happy you survived. I mean, I'm happy you're giving us this story. And yeah, because, you know, I've I've heard from survivors. Uh, I haven't heard a scenario like yours where you have a toddler and, and you have your partner and... And you, you both had it, you know? Yes. So I belong to a Facebook group of Facebook moms. Hearing the story of where I live, or well, there are many other parenting groups, but it, it has been very helpful to me to read what other parents do. And I have to say that actually parents are in this situation all the time. When one has the flu and the other one has the flu and then the kid has something else and then you have a baby, <laughs> you know. So um, it is... Uh, obviously a difficult situation but it's possible to get through it one thing that we started doing now that we feel well and we actually are able not to think about the virus so much and to focus on life is that we started calling our friends and especially our single friends the ones that are 
home alone. Uh, and we call them in the evenings and we have a chat and maybe a drink sometimes, you know, and just make them feel better. And, and it makes us feel better too. You realize that you actually start connecting with your friends again, which is good. That community, that too, where like my family's from Ecuador. So I'm on WhatsApp with them and they, they talk all the time. It's like 20 of them, right? And in my head, I'm like, I remember when I was a kid and my mom would send me to Ecuador for, for three months, two months, and I'd come back yeah. and I wouldn't hear from them until the next summer. <laughs> and, um, but now it's like with technology, we're just able to connect. And I think that's another part of the hope, right? That we're, we as humans uh, are so long for connection that we, we have these tools to connect so we don't have to feel alone, right? And I think that's, that's beautiful in, in a time of chaos. Even more so, we've been uh, saying with Pastor Neil how it's nice on the weekends, on the uh, church services that we do, that people call in from different areas and they listen to the service. And we have one of our elders, Victoria, who is been bound, homebound for a long time. She always calls in. Just the fact that she's able to hear the sermon, which she wouldn't be able to in a normal situation, is, is great. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And I think that also leads to more opportunity, right? Because I think aside from obviously the financial and the healthcare system, there's also been a spiritual void, right, for many. And it's like, you know, the, the people that are the spiritual leaders are using tools like Zoom to speak, right, and to have people listen in and, and hear spiritual talks. So it'll be interesting to see how that looks like after this, right? Like now and then after, like that's what's going to survive. And, and that's my hope, too, to, that more people, because they're confined in spaces, they have to also acknowledge, like, have I been living with a spiritual void? Pastor Neil. So I think I think, you know, humor is great, too. Humor is great. <laughs> you really have to keep a sense of humor, man, about this stuff because you could not make it up. I mean, who on who? could have made this up you couldn't you know we haven't even talked about the politics but or all the conspiracy <laughs> theories oh, around the virus another thing right it, it is it's great to hear the whole story maggie and you know i mean for me hope is in the community and so it really is you know i think what you said kenny about using the tools of community however whatever they are whatever is available to you that's that's really what I'm trying to do. And and to keep the people associated with the church continue to have a sense of being part of that of that community. So yeah, so Maggie, uh, we want to thank you for for uh, joining us and saying your story. It's remarkable. And yeah, I mean we'd love to hear from other COVID survivors if you if you have people that are willing to talk because that perspective is needed as well. So it's not just doom and gloom thanks pleasure to speak to you too and i am hoping that i shed a new light on how it feels and yeah we're in a much more positive place and i hope that with time people's approach will change to the in a more stable way that we don't let our emotion guide us uh but we let our reason guide us mm, more i love that and god let me ask you one last question, right? For people that might be stuck in that paranoia state, right? What are three uh, levels of advice that you have? Three things that you would say to them? I would just say to them to be 
I would say to them that it, that they, they're not in control. You know, a lot of fear comes from the fact that we want to be in control of things, and we're just not. So if they're not in control, then they just have to try to calm down and deal with the fact that there are things in life that you can control, and you just have to rely on hope for the best, rely on God and think that uh, be more humble to other people and, and not be judgmental straight away because I think that a lot of fear and paranoia comes from the fact that we just impulsively judge other people and take the wrong impression. All right. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Maggie. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Maggie. Thank you, Pastor. Rocking and rolling, man. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, man. You were you were leaning into the uh, gloom and doom. <laughs> I say something. Yeah. Uh, wow. Well, you know, part of being positive is being clear-minded, clear, clear-eyed, and I That's think true. that you you have to be willing to look at things without being afraid of them, man. And and it's you know it's part of what I'm do trying to do is stay focused on, you know, one day at a time. But I do think that there is at, at a certain point an obligation to look ahead and, and recognize how disrupted things will be for all kinds of reasons. I mean, and, and the first one I think is about leadership. I mean, that being a leader in these times requires us to, you know, maybe look at the things that, that others are not so willing to look at. You know, I mean, that's part of leadership. And then, you know, trying to figure out a strategy to, to, to cope with it. You know, this is just, this part here that we're in now, I think is just the beginning, you know. Oh, we have is so, hope. You know, these conversations are crucial. So I think that's... Yeah, no, I, th- I think we're, we're on to something. This is, so let's end on that note. Cool. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you so much.